While Sonic was going through his growing pains in the 2000s, Sega released two compilation discs to remind everyone of why the series exists. Sonic Mega Collection contained nearly every Sonic game released on the Genesis up to that point. Honestly, this disc is still a fantastic option if you want to get into the series, or you want all your Sonic games in one place. On top of having most of the Sonic games that actually contributed something to this medium of entertainment, it also has neat bonuses like the ability to read each game's original manual, looking at the first hundred goofy covers of the Archie Sonic comic, watching fun videos and trailers, and listening to some stellar and occasionally introspective music. For its content, overall presentation, and price tag, you couldn't go wrong with this collection. And you still can't, really. Sonic Gems collection, on the other hand, is a bit harder for me to recommend. The main selling point was the re-release of three rare Sonic games. Sonic the Fighters, Sonic CD, and Sonic R. At the time, it was impossible to find the games for a decent price, and Sonic the Fighters was only available in arcades. On top of that, it also included the rest of the Game Gear games and both Vector Man games. If you were a fan of Sonic at the time, it'd be a no-brainer to pick this up. But in the year 2020, we have definitive re-releases of Sonic the Fighters, Sonic CD, and the Vector Man games. It's also become apparent that most of the games in this collection are not going to change the world. But there are two reasons I still have Sonic Gems collection kicking around. For one, it was way ahead of its time in both functionality and compatibility. It adapted features from Mega Collection Plus, like save states and the framework for its UI, to form its own identity. Before emulators were a stable and reliable way to play retro games, you'd either have to go for the authentic experience or buy a compilation disc. Sonic Gems Collection was one of the first compilation games I'd ever played to feature save states, and while they only work with the Genesis and Game Gear games, it's still fantastic to have the option. On top of this, the presentation on this disc is phenomenal. It looks like it could have come out yesterday. While Mega Collection attempted a 90s arcade aesthetic, and Mega Collection Plus didn't step far away from that, Gems Collection goes for a sleek, modern look. Glass panels float around carrying with them previews of games you can play. It's all made up of a consistent, soft color scheme. It kind of reminds me of those Disney home video interstitials. The music is also pretty phenomenal. I've used a couple of these tracks in my videos before. I used to put this music on while I'd do my homework or something. I'd also jam out to the occasional Acid House remix of Can You Feel the Sunshine while looking over some concept art. Yeah, Gems Collection may not have had the games that define the series, but it sure was welcoming, and I revisit it sometimes just to relive the atmosphere created. The other reason I still own the collection is Sonic R. Not Sonic CD or Vector Man or literally anything else on the collection. I still play Sonic Gems Collection to this day because Sonic R is on it. Getting a hold of a Sega Saturn, as well as a copy of Sonic R for the console, is a hassle. And it's also inferior to its PC counterpart. This version is cheap, but it'll require some extra work to get it running on modern operating systems. You might as well grab Gems Collection for all the extra content and overall flair. Or don't, actually. Don't spend your money on Sonic R. This early attempt at a Sonic racing game has been relentlessly bashed over the years, and I understand why. It's not a very good game. It came out as a lukewarm attempt to include a 3D Sonic game in the Saturn's library before its ass was handed to it by Sonic Adventure. The cancelled Sonic Extreme, the isometric headache inducer known as Sonic 3D Blast, and the mere tech demo within a compilation known as Sonic Jam were all experiments in transitioning Sonic into 3D. At the time, no one could properly create a 3D platform out of Sonic without something going wrong. That's why Traveler's Tales made a racing game instead. 
They could put Sonic in a 3D environment without technically making a 3D Sonic game. And it sucks. It's a very cumbersome game to play, and I don't blame anyone for giving up on it. But in spite of everything wrong with it, and in spite of the things that have been said about it in the last 20 years, I find myself replaying it every now and then. Play through the game, I grab all the Chaos Emeralds, I unlock every character, I play as Super Sonic and Radiant Emerald. I unironically listen to the soundtrack for hours on end. I force my brother to play with me because no one else wants to touch this game. You know, the usual revisit. And you know what? I've grown to absolutely love it. I love its controls, I love the level design, I love its methods of progression. I find it to be an engaging racer. I acknowledge the fact that it's hot garbage, but something keeps me crawling back. And that's exactly what I aim to investigate. I'm Liam Triforce, and today, I'll be rediscovering why I loved Sonic R. Perhaps I could offer a new perspective on this steaming pile of game. As Reisevik once said, That's the thing about logic. It doesn't suppress what you feel. And all I felt was joy. First off, it's important to pinpoint just what it is that turns people away from this game. The most prominent answer you'll hear is its ungodly controls. You hold one button to accelerate, or hold forward, you can jump or double jump with another, while turning with the left and right directional buttons like you're steering a tank. This means that you don't have full freedom of movement when accelerating, and on top of that, you can't even move backwards. Now in concept, this makes sense as the game's level design is built for high velocity platforming, the essence of Sonic the Hedgehog. You also have two buttons that drift your character from left to right, allowing you to attempt to make sharp turns. Using the steering and drifting in tandem allows you to quickly adjust your trajectory for well-timed jumps whilst maintaining your speed. It invites new design opportunities for an intriguing platforming racing game hybrid. But that's only one thing the turning is good for, and it hinges on the player actually accustoming themselves to an unorthodox control setup to begin with. You know what the turning isn't good for? everything else. Most pathways are incredibly narrow, so you'll find yourself bumping into walls and other obstacles often, even if you are the most skilled Sonic R player to ever grace the game. It is an unavoidable problem. On top of that, if you bump face first into a wall, you may as well restart the race, because you're going to be spending seconds just standing there slowly turning your stupid ass around. If you miss a collectible, turning yourself around, maintaining your position in the race, and accurately running through the damn thing against Sonic R's camera is more stressful than just pausing and giving the race another shot. The game asks a lot of your accuracy in these scenarios. Gathering rings in a line in order to unlock Chaos Emerald paths, and grabbing character tokens all while dealing with the level's twists and turns, and the game's inaccessible and frankly asinine control scheme is enough to kill anyone's enjoyment. Look at how precise you have to be when grabbing this token in Reactive Factory. You have to nail the jump and take a sharp right turn at the same time, otherwise you'll be wasting your time turning yourself around. In terms of content, Sonic R is pitifully shallow. There are only five tracks, with one of them being a bonus for finding all seven Chaos Emeralds. If it seems like I'm reusing footage in this video, that's just because there isn't a lot to work with in Sonic R. A lot of my gameplay is going to look the same thanks to this game's lack of variety and short length. If you collect all five character tokens and finish a race in first place, you'll go up against an unlockable character. Now you'd expect these races to demonstrate a character's abilities, like Metal Sonic hovering over water, or Metal Knuckles being able to glide over the entire video game, but in actuality they didn't even bother. In most cases, the AI here is worse than the character AI in normal races. Sometimes they'll follow a predetermined path, other times they perform hilariously. 
Metal Sonic can run on water, and yet he's following the main path. That makes sense, right? And look at this! Metal Knuckles is running in circles and even going backwards! It's like this race wasn't even finished when it was implemented. While it might seem like 10 characters are plenty to choose from, especially before Sonic expanded its cast in the 2000s, most of them are objectively worse to play as than others. Metal Knuckles' glide effectively erases the need to ever play as Tails or Knuckles. Amy's car may have improved handling, but it makes her the slowest character in the game. You can use a speed boost from time to time with the jump button, but you are basically unable to turn while doing so. Eggman and Egg Robo's missiles barely do anything to other players, and Tails' doll exists. All of the robot and vehicular characters can hover over water, and you unlock Metal Sonic in the first level, so there's little reason to revisit the original cast of characters from there. Of course, Super Sonic is the best character in the game, but that's par for the course, and he's a reward for gathering every collectible and unlocking all of the other characters. There are a couple of bonus modes and time trials, but they add virtually nothing to the core experience, seeing as you're essentially doing what you do in the Grand Prix while looking for five balloons and tagging four characters. Doing both of these things just sucks with control so imprecise. The game does have multiplayer, with two players on the Saturn and PC, and four players on GameCube, but good luck finding someone else that's able to enjoy the game with you if you do end up adapting to it. Here's a quick example. I have been playing this game on and off for about 15 years. I know a lot about how it works, and I know all of the shortcuts. Here I am, flying over most of Radical City, while Egg Robo over here, who has never played the game before, mind you, is struggling to adapt to the controls and finds himself trapped amidst bumpers and narrow passageways. No one wants to play this game with me, and I don't blame them. Overall, I completely understand the negative reception. Looking at it from the perspective of your average consumer, at its worst, Sonic R is a miserable experience with horrible controls and little depth or variety in its content. At its best, it is a mediocre racing game that can be completed in its entirety in about an hour. As far as I know, this was going for the same price as Mario Kart 64 back in the day, which had three times as many levels to race in, endlessly rewarding mechanics, and some of the best damn multiplayer you could experience at the time. Sonic R wasn't going to sway the general public on buying a Saturn. It existed to fill the gaping hole in the Saturn's library, and it didn't even do its job very well in that regard. <laughs> Most of what I'm saying now, though, is probably stuff you've already heard a million times already. I can take an objective, cynical viewpoint on this game like a snob and make yet another forgettable video on this site about a Sonic game lots of people love to bash. But that's not why I'm here. It's important to lay out why this game didn't click with people so that I can have you understand what I see through its rough exterior. And what I see is an incredibly rewarding game that was designed to be replayed endlessly. Now that might just sound absurd without context, but I'd like you to hear me out as I attempt to justify what I just said. For starters, it's worth clarifying that Sonic R was a collaborative effort between Sonic Team and Traveler's Tales. Sonic Team handled level design and art direction, while Traveler's Tales handled programming and implementation. Sonic Team was responsible for what makes this game fun to me, and Traveler's Tales' miserable programming job actually shaped my perspective on the game. Let's break things down, starting with the game's level design. For reference, here's the first track in Mario Kart 64, Luigi Raceway. You have a few turns and a tunnel. The outcome of the race depends on items and how well players can drift and cut corners. It's a purely skill-based track with random positive and negative factors thrown into the mix thanks to item boxes. Sonic R, however, differs substantially. You could take the main path through and through while turning corners and gathering rings, 
Or you could jump up on this rock and grab a character token, take a sharp left and grab another through the secret path, cut through the stones to conserve your rings for a Chaos Emerald path whilst keeping up with the other racers, and finally grab a third character token on the left side of this mountain while skipping the loop because you have enough rings and it would only slow you down. Granted, this is all irrelevant in multiplayer. Races boil down to being faster and more knowledgeable about the game than your opponent, and I think the developers were aware of that. Based on this level alone, I feel like Sonic R is designed to be a single-player race against the clock at its core. A race where you're trying to explore for collectibles while staying ahead of your opponents. But that's another thing. You could remove the other racers and employ a time limit instead, and the core experience would remain intact. The reason I say this is because there is very little interaction between you and the other characters in this game. You might bump into a few of them, and you might have a couple of useless missiles shot at you, but the AI is programmed to follow an unbroken path. As a result, your race to collect the character tokens and Chaos Emeralds while remaining in first place is yours and yours alone, as no one will come to bother you. Now you could look at this as a huge design flaw and I'd understand completely, because it is. Why even have other players in the race if they don't do anything to stop you? The lack of interactivity with other players in Sonic R is one of the reasons it pales in comparison to comparable party racing games like Mario Kart. But this also reinforces its single player mode in a completely different way. Although the game's static AI kind of sucks, it also opens up a new perspective. Since the fastest computer in the game will always arrive at the finish line at a certain time, it's kind of like you're doing all of this under a time limit. And because of that, I look at Sonic R as a Tony Hawk's Pro Skater-esque video game, collecting things under a time limit that forces you to improve. The game's level design plays a crucial part in this. Let's take a look at Radical City. Its alternate paths are plentiful and host the five character tokens, but they aren't exactly the fastest paths to navigate. Thankfully, there are ways to shave off time. If you're using a character that can hover over water, or you gain enough distance with your jumps, you can cut across the river and jump over a divider that leads straight to the last portion of the level. This allows you to make up for that lost time you spent exploring the level for tokens, rings, and emeralds. As demonstrated here, the levels are finely tuned for this kind of rapid-fire decision-making. Did you miss a token? You need to consider when you should take your next shot, and how you can catch up in the meantime. Low on rings? Try sticking to the main path rather than exploring. And it helps to experiment with how those overpowered robot characters can take shortcuts. The level design strikes this phenomenal balancing act each and every time. And experimentation can allow you to discover new and exciting ways to save time. There's a jump in Reactive Factory that can be taken advantage of quite nicely. As soon as you go off of this ramp, take a very sharp right until you hit the ground, and you'll have skipped an entire portion of the level, loop and all. It only shaves off a few seconds, but it can help you catch up, especially after waiting for a Chaos Emerald to drop down here. In Regal Ruin, you can hover over this pit to cut the corner. In Resort Island, you can jump through these trees to bypass the mountain entirely after you've already collected the token on the left side. The only things holding these levels back are really stupid choices that just don't mesh well with the game's control scheme. Like turns in Regal Ruin that are just... Dear God, why? Why is this section made up of 90 degree angles? And there are a couple of areas in Reactive Factory that essentially force you to submit to a janky, slow-ass turn. Yeah, no matter how much I may laud this game's level design, how much you can appreciate blazing through Sonic R's stages, quickly making decisions and balancing speed with exploration, all depends on whether or not you can adapt to the game's controls. Now, I'm not gonna ask you to learn them. They're terrible. But I had a lot of time on my hands as a kid. I didn't know the difference between good and bad games, I just played what interested me. And despite struggling with turning and drifting in Sonic R, I felt compelled to explore and unlock everything the game had to offer because the level design was so damn fun. Now here I am 15 years later, 
And I'm about to say something absolutely crazy. You can learn how to play this game. I'm not saying you should, or that the process of doing so is fun in any way, but I managed to do it. <laughs> Allow me to walk you through this process. The crucial component to doing well in Sonic R is knowing when to use steering and drifting in tandem. When running in wide areas, perhaps a simple steer is enough. In narrow passageways with sharp turns, you'll want to hold on to that drift button. Also, don't be afraid to de-accelerate whenever those situations arise, as it gives you more time to react and a greater deal of control. This is how I learned to navigate those difficult turns. But maintaining speed is where things get tricky. If I were to continue doing this, I wouldn't be able to balance speed with exploration. That's when I noticed something new. You can actually bump into these things to readjust the direction you're traveling based on momentum. In this winding turn on Resort Island, bumping is necessary in order to maintain your momentum, and bumping off of this sign after grabbing the token will allow you to correct your trajectory. Intentionally bumping into things in order to improve control is a very unorthodox way of playing a racing game, and it was almost certainly not intentional. But I practiced. I thought about ways to maintain my momentum against the game's control scheme, and use the environment to my advantage. Eventually, I got really good at steering my character, and my accuracy was slowly improving. I was able to make pinpoint turns and grab collectibles without choking, and I was able to maintain my momentum at the same time. I learned things about my characters. For example, picking Knuckles was a wise choice for practicing accuracy, as he easily has the best balance between handling and speed. And he can glide. Metal Sonic pivots when he jumps off of water, allowing him to completely readjust for a sharp turn. This makes him ideal for that tricky reactive factory skip, or when you want to make any crazy maneuver in general. I also learned that you can toggle weather effects in the options menu, with one of them completely reinventing races. Now as much as I love the different weather effects in this game and seeing how they change the game's gorgeous visuals, there's only one you should really be switching to. If you set the weather to snow, the water becomes frozen over, resulting in every character being able to traverse the water, but with slippery drifting. This also means that you can maintain the momentum in your drift and make some crazy turns while keeping your speed up. This helps a ton in Resort Island, as you can tell. A lot of what you're seeing in my gameplay footage is built on muscle memory, after a few attempts at each objective. Much like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, you don't have to complete every objective in one clean run. That's something that you work towards. You can take your time and grab one Chaos Emerald per race, or focus on solely collecting tokens. Working towards that objective is how I became more knowledgeable, and I eventually pushed myself to achieve that clean run. Keep in mind, I was a kid when I practiced all of this. I had all of the time in the world to learn how to play this game and play by its rules. But the desire to fully enjoy its level design and get really good at the game in general has made the game immensely replayable. I'm not going to say that you should give it another shot, because I can't vouch for it being a tolerable experience. What I will say is that my enjoyment was earned. In order to fully enjoy this game, you have to make it your bitch. You have to take these unorthodox controls and physics and bend them to your will. Nothing about Traveler's Tales' shoddy programming has made the game more enjoyable. I had to work hard to enjoy Sonic Team's level design to the fullest. This is a similar scenario to Sonic Riders, although lack of communication about mechanics isn't a problem in Sonic R. The controls are fairly simple and straightforward, it's just that they are inexcusably unresponsive. But once I put the time in and learned all sorts of crazy techniques, I found myself eager to come back to this game, to grab everything in one go. I even did a few speedruns of the game, and I'm looking forward to trying some more. Sonic R, to me, is one of the worst racing games I've ever played, but I broke through its fatally flawed exterior to find a compelling blend of genres, and now, it's something I revisit frequently. I can finish the game in 20 minutes, with all characters and Chaos Emeralds accounted for. 
I appreciate the fact that you can blow through it in short bursts, because it's a fun challenge. If nothing else, I appreciate what the developers wanted to achieve, but I understand why it unfortunately falls to its shortcomings. While the level design is well constructed and fun to take in as you improve, it's quite hard to fully enjoy it when you can barely grasp the game's stiff controls. And as I mentioned before, replay value comes from the core enjoyment and desire to improve, rather than content. I might love playing this game, but I don't recommend it in the slightest. But there's another reason I come back to this game so frequently. And I think at least one of you out there knows what I'm talking about. Sonic R oozes personality and charm, which is brought to the forefront with Richard Jacques' music. Each track features high-energy electropop with beautiful vocals provided by TJ Davis. They're in tune with the spirit of Sonic the Hedgehog, they're extraordinarily well produced for their place in gaming history, and they have become iconic over the past 23 years. The lyrics may not have anything to do with the gameplay, aside from the game's theme song, which needs no explanation, and they may be cheesy as hell, but like I said in my video on the music of Sonic, cheese belongs in this series. It's a kid's game and it's not meant to be taken seriously. But that's another reason I was shocked by how they remind me of my adult life. Can You Feel the Sunshine is about escapism and maintaining a positive mindset during difficult times. Living in the city evokes the fast-paced nature of a 9-to-5 lifestyle, and Work It Out is about working for what you want, which reminds me of what I did here on YouTube. For years, I was trying to find my way on this platform. I worked really, really hard to refine my style, until something finally clicked with people in my Half-Life retrospective. I finally found the style that works for me, and I stuck with it and kept improving. Content creation on this platform can feel like a crapshoot, but the philosophy of hard work paying off ended up being true. I made what I wanted my reality. But above all else, this soundtrack, and especially Sunshine, remind me of much simpler times. Before I'd hop into Sonic R back in the day, I'd play around with Sonic Gems Collection. I'd revisit some old Game Gear games, I'd flip through the manuals, I'd look at concept art while in the museum, and listen to music. I mentioned a lot of that stuff in the beginning of the video, but this was how I'd spend a few of my Saturdays growing up. Little did I know, I'd cherish those memories deeply. Sonic Gems Collection and Sonic R are games I revisit as a necessary dose of escapism. They remind me of a time when any game could be fun as long as it appealed to me as a kid. They're far removed from the world we live in right now and I don't have to have a tiring discussion about them. They're just simple pleasures for me to enjoy. And sometimes, that's all I need. That, as well as its weird level design philosophy, its unorthodox control scheme that provides me with a feeling of excitement and improvement, and a consistent will to collect everything and still come out on top, all of this stuff is why I loved Sonic R. <laughs> 